Let's talk about the future of blogs for businesses, a palindrome podcast. Hey, we've got a special offer for all our listeners. Want to get 20% off your blog content production for life? Head over to palindromecommunications.com and click on Get Started. And then fill in the voucher code BLOGREADY when it asks you for your voucher code. BLOGREADY. 20% off for life. Hello, Khalid. Yeah, Ralph. Yep. All right. We're just waiting for our guest. Um, let's just wait a little. Oh, here he is, Stephen. Hi. Hi. Well. Hi. Here. Hi, Stephen. Yeah. Um, you you can hear me, right? Yes. Here, loud and clear. Can you okay, hear me all cool. right? All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let me just introduce myself and the show. Um, my name is Ralph from Palindrome, and I'm joined by my co-host Khalid from Palindrome. Khalid, can you say hi? Hi, Steve. Hi, Ralph. Hi, Khalid. Good to be here. Right, and uh, this is uh, basically a show um, called Let's Talk About the Future of Blogs for Businesses. And uh, on this show, we talk to, uh, you know, entrepreneurs, founders, um, uh, particularly with a focus on startups and small businesses about how they use their blogs for their businesses. So um, maybe we could start off um, with you introducing yourself and what you do. Sure. And that, that seems to be right up our alley. So, you know, uh, my name is Stephen, uh, Stephen Young. Friends call me Steve, actually. So I'm the founder of uh, My Personal Finances, which is a leading financial education uh, website on personal finance in Malaysia. I'm also a practicing licensed financial planner and the chief knowledge officer at uh, Wealthvantage Advisory, which is uh, uh, also a leading independent financial advisory firm here in Malaysia. Right. So, um, my PF is, is it is it pronounced my PF? Yeah, my PF is is short for my personal finances. So you can get us at mypf.my. Right. Right. Yeah. So my PF focuses heavily on aspects like um, personal finance and financial literacy and investments, and there's also a little bit of risk assessments and debt management. Um, pretty pretty comprehensive range of stuff that you guys focus on. Could you maybe um, elaborate a little bit more about some of the major services that you offer and maybe the specific purposes? Sure. All right. So what you mentioned would be some of our key pillars. So basically, we are actually providing financial education uh, for Malaysians. So we use both technology. Uh, we provide a lot of free resources and we help connect Malaysians with uh, licensed uh, financial planners. So the key areas that we look at would be uh, personal finance in, in general. So that's everything from, you know, basic concepts like uh, uh, paying yourself first, getting out of debt, going into uh, risk management, whether it's uh, talking about insurance, whether it's talking about estate planning, you know, how to buy your first medical uh, insurance policy and investments, which a lot of people think is, is the sexier part of uh, personal finances. But, you know, you really need to get all your basics together and, and you know, before you really go into investing. So uh, on our side, we try to cover everything from both the basics towards uh, even going to the advanced level. So it starts off from the basics on, you know, how to actually start investing, you know, what are equities, uh, what's even EPF, 
the employee provident fund, how does it work, what are the withdrawals, what are the various investments. So everything from more mainstream investments like unit trust to uh, fintech, digital wealth managers, robo advisories, uh, to even things like uh, cryptocurrency, peer-to-peer lending, uh, equity crowdfunding, so stocks. There's a major topic that we cover as well. And we also have a minor section on uh, lifestyle. So that covers more of things like, you know, like uh, what's the best credit card to, to get for, you know, cashback or airline miles or, you know, uh, what's a good way to save on your grocery uh, bills. And we try to feature, you know, uh, not just us, but, you know, other Malaysian uh, personal finance websites, uh, Instagrammers. Uh, uh, we do podcasts as well. So that's, yeah, there's a little bit of uh, what we cover. Right. Yeah, yeah. I follow. I personally follow uh, on social media. You know Ringgit or Ringgit? That's right. Yeah. 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 Like um, there are a lot of finance, finance, personal finance um, figures and bloggers. Yeah. It's, it's, it's become quite relevant, especially now, like with the pandemic and stuff. Right. People, uh, uh, financial literacy. Right. It's important. Totally, yeah, yeah. totally, yeah. The space is pretty small, so, you know, yeah, like uh, with Soraya, Ringgit, or Ringgit, and, you know, the other financial uh, okay. influencers, yeah, we see each other quite quite regularly, actually. Right, yeah. And um, on the subject of financial planning, specifically for Malaysians, I think it's something that's pretty relevant right now. Uh, obviously, with the COVID-19 pandemic, there there's a lot of financial mm, blunders faced by both individuals and businesses alike. And in terms of personal finance and and the financial industries in general, um, what kinds of trends are you seeing? And, and what kinds of trends do you predict um, that will be coming in the near future? Sure. So we're definitely seeing a lot of uh, change, you know, the shakeup with the pandemic and, you know, the new normal that, that we're in. Uh, we're definitely undergoing a lot of change both here in Malaysia as well as, you know, the, the rest of the world. Um, we basically see that you know uh, technology is actually being an enabler. Things are more rapidly changing, and we see people actually in different spectrums. There will be those who you know have been um, affected uh, by the pandemic, uh, whether directly or indirectly, uh, loss of job, uh, pay cut. Um, etc. And they're actually looking to uh, survive, you know. We, so we actually got quite a few questions on, you know, how do we actually uh, survive in these uh, times, you know. Should they take up all the loan moratoriums, for example, and now that the moratoriums are ending, you know, what's the next step, etc. And at the other end, we, we actually see people who are actually looking for opportunities, uh, maybe a contrarian point of view, but believing that, you know, in times where um, there's actually changes where uh, equity options. markets yeah, drop and all that, that, you know, where are the areas that, you know, you can actually uh, invest and, and make full use of the opportunities that actually uh, come during this uh, period of time. Yeah, and you mentioned that technology is the, the enabler of this era, you know, like uh, I think it's the digital era now that we are in and technology is all the buzz and rightfully so. I think there are a lot of technological innovations that kind of affect all kinds of industries and sectors, you know, um, across the board. So when it comes to technology being an enabler, I think fintech um, comes into play and um, we've had a lot of a lot of guests on this podcast itself um, a lot of them founders and um, owners of fintech companies and fintech solutions. Tech, tech yeah. focus, strong tech focus. Yeah. So in your opinion, where, where, um, where and how does fintech fit in right now during, uh, you know, now there's a looming economic crisis. 
Um, people are kind of freaking out. Um, a lot of personal finance and business finance is at stake. Um, do you see personally any any um, any hope when it comes to the implementation of fintech? Definitely. Um, so we're seeing exactly that uh, fintech is actually an uh, enabler in the sense that it actually lowers the cost of doing business. It allows uh, for a single deployment or something to be uh, immediately repeatable reaching out to a much wider audience. So especially when it comes to fintech and it comes to something that's duplicatable and you can reduce costs, that means more people can benefit from it. It will mean that uh, the cost of actually investing, for example. Um, so previously, you know, there used to be uh, for a lot of investments, you'd be paying sales charges like five, six percent upfront, sometimes or we call that a front end load. Sometimes you need to pay when you, you know, exit certain investments as well. But now with fintech in the picture, you can get a lot of investments actually at what, like one percent of cost or even as low as zero uh, percent actually. So we're seeing that uh, more people have more options and it also helps uh, globalize investments as well. So here we are in Malaysia and yeah, we can be basically investing in the rest of the world from, from the comfort of our laptop in our own homes. Yeah, and I think that's the, um, that's the whole charm of um, the fintech movement in a way, right? It's granting accessibility in a way to the, to the, to the layman and enabling kind of freedom a kind of freedom of choice when it comes to how you want to invest or how you want to control your financial at the same time i feel there's like um this like uh you can say like overabundance of choice right so then it comes down to like the education aspect right like with so much choice how do people choose right that's right so that's actually where we come in as well so a lot of information that we provide is simple enough that you can pick up the basics on your own um you can basically diy your your own you know whether it's investments insurance planning uh so on so forth but at the same time there will be those who actually want to connect with a licensed financial planner whether it's whether you, you need someone to handhold you through the process or it could be the other way around that you actually know what you're doing, but you just want someone to bounce ideas off, to have an intellectual discourse, to know that uh, you're professionally getting the right advice on how to look at your, say, everything from a holistic financial planning uh, management all the way from your cash flow to your debt, to your investments, to your estate planning when you pass away. And just by working with a licensed financial planner, you typically would see an extra couple of percentage points gains every year, which seems little, but if you actually compound that, say over a period of 10, 20 years, that, that makes just a massive lot of difference. Yeah, and I, and I, I almost see um, uh, that's where you guys come in. And I think that's why um, platforms like my, my PF are so important as well, um, because you guys offer guidance, right? The keyword being guidance. And I think that's, you could say a second pillar for progressive industry, progressive industry industries or like progressive industrial growth. In fact, like we talked about how um, the implementation of technology into an industry is maybe the first pillar, right? It's an enabler. Technology is an enabler, um, um, bringing forth accessibility and freedom and options and basically putting the power back into the hands of the people, but then we need that second pillar, as Ralph pointed out, where uh, you know people need guidance now because the the options are limitless. They have so much choice. In fact, you could even argue that they have too much choice, right? So guidance is, I think, that second pillar, and that's where you guys come in, and I think it's pretty important as well, right? 
Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's part of what we do where we're actually trying to help to transform the industry that, that we're in. Um, we think that the industry needs to move, you know, from back in the old days where, let's say, you wanted to engage a financial planner, you better have, you know, a few million uh, ringgit in your account before the financial planner is going to talk to you. But right now, we actually are actually targeting really mass market. That means everyone should have access to a financial planner. We're, we're still lagging behind, you know, um, countries like, you know, our neighbors in Singapore or in Australia, UK, US. But, you know, I think slowly but surely, we're, we're getting there. People are getting more educated. People don't want to be pushed uh, products, but people want to make, you know, informed choices that they feel confident and they know what they're getting into. Right. Yeah. So um, you yourself, uh, you are a pretty renowned financial expert from what I see. And I understand that you're also an active, passive investor. That's a pretty interesting term. Uh, could you maybe explain that a little bit? Because like we hear about passive uh, passive income, and then we hear about active income, but active passive investor, that's pretty interesting. Sure, I'll clarify that a little bit. Maybe I'll start by just uh, giving the definitions. So, you know, at the totally passive part would be things like, uh, they're basically paper investments, things like shares, uh, bonds, etc., where you just put in a, a sum of money and you just uh, let it sit there and, you know, enjoy the, the returns or the dividends, uh, etc., um, for active investments at one extreme, you're talking about uh, things like uh, trading. So it's more of active activity where you actually will need to monitor, say, uh, technical analysis using charts, for example, in order to make those uh, investment decisions. And, you know, there are actually things in between, sort of like uh, rental properties, for example. It's not really passive. It's not really uh, active either. So it sits somewhere in between. So, um Property investing can be one example of that. Other than that would be actually, there's actually been a change in um, how investments are done. Gone are the days where you could actually just like, for example, think of picking a, a singular fund and put all your money there just because it performed very well in the last, say, five years or, or so and just expect that it's going to uh, do so consistently. So it means that you still need to have this investments as part of your portfolio and it needs to be regularly rebalanced now we're not talking about you know uh, every every other day checking up your investments on your app or something and you know trying to make all sorts of changes that's just going to destroy your portfolio but it also means that you can't just leave everything fully passive at the very least i would say that you need to rebalance your portfolio at least once a year even if it's mostly all uh, passive investments so by the actually taking the step of rebalancing your investment portfolio you automatically are taking gains. So certain investments, for example, that have been performing well, when you rebalance, you automatically would take certain gains. And then you would actually, certain investments that have been uh, on a dip, which probably means they're at a value pricing right now. So you can actually redeploy some of these funds that you have now freed up into those investments. And you don't want to do it too often. Uh, one year is a pretty good period because if you do it too early, that means something that's actually been performing. And then you kind of cut short its gains because you were a little bit too anxious. So about a year's period is a, is a pretty good time for you to do some active uh, rebalancing and taking some steps on your investments, even if it's talking about all your passive investments. Like, uh, yeah, like, uh, you, you know, these activist investors, right? Like, uh, I think his name, uh, Carl Icahn and... Uh, uh, Berkshire Hathaway, um, Warren Buffett. I don't think he's an activist investor, but these are people who are like actively involved in their investments, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Carl Icahn, yeah. Uh, Buffett to a certain extent. Yeah, they, they're actually very involved in their investments. Um, and this actually ties into other key trends as well, you know. So investing nowadays is not just about the dollars and cents. 
um, it's also about the the other shareholders, whether it's minority shareholders, etc. Um, we're also seeing a lot of focus on uh, sustainable investing. That means you're talking about environmental, social, and governmental factors. So basically, you can actually make investments that are good for the environment or good for the workers, uh, good for society as a whole, or at the very least, you know, not damaging towards uh, uh, society and our environment. And yet, at the same time, this can actually be good investments which uh, make good returns as well. What do you think about the where, where the markets are headed? Do you think that like there's a bubble coming something? Mm, well, that's a crystal ball question. But <laughs> basically, uh, my personal opinion is that uh, we are seeing that uh, with the recent pandemic, and it's not just in Malaysia, but across the world, that a lot of um, first-time investors, first-time retail investors, started opening up brokerage accounts, started putting money into the, the market. And sometimes, you know, the fastest or the hottest money in is the hottest money out as well that, you know, when things start getting jittery that, you know, uh, this group of people will be the first to uh, try to leave the markets if they can. Um, personally, what I'm seeing is that uh, because we have a lot of money coming in and there's always that supply and demand that affects the pricing of um, asset classes and uh, investments. So we see that prices all started heading up. But the thing was that actually due to the pandemic, we see that businesses, a lot of them have actually been closed or they were, for example, brick and mortar businesses, they were moving towards an online strategy. But, you know, the revenue that they're getting from their online strategy still can't cover what they used to get from their brick and mortar businesses. So mm. I'm seeing that there's actually a disconnect between uh, the prices today and how the businesses are actually performing. So as we see more earnings reports getting released and uh, we actually see what's the real um, impact of the pandemic and the new normal that we're in on businesses. So we might uh, possibly see a correction more towards the mean levels. Yeah, like uh, I I like what you said about the disconnect because uh, you know like a lot of the market like moves on feeling, right? How people feel, and that's not necessarily based on reality, right? That's right. Yeah, there's a saying that you know in the short term is actually a polling machine, so it really depends on your emotions. But you know, in the long time, in the long term, it's actually a weighing machine actually. So you know, the numbers really do make sense in the long term. Yeah, and, and, and like um, in the early days, of, I, I remember like pandemic, not so early days, but like when the cases were rising in the US, like cases rising and then like at the same time, like uh, the market's like doing well and I'm like, what's what's going on? I, you know, like it didn't seem to re reflect on the reality of the situation. And yeah, you're not the only one who's puzzled <laughs> about that. <laughs> yeah. And, we saw a trend like that happen in the 2008 financial crisis. Um, like if you if you watch the movie as well, Big Short, uh, uh, I think what happened was there were a couple of a couple of experts who identified that during the 2008 financial crisis there was a problem, but I think there was a, there was like a lag, right? There was like a leeway between when that actually reflected in the market, and I think everyone was freaking out at that point, right? Yep, that's right. Uh, and greed pays, uh, plays a big picture as well. So if we're talking about the 2008 uh, global financial crisis, GFC, you're talking about things like toxic debt and all that. And how because of greed, it seemed that, you know, you continue uh, going up seemingly forever. But, you know, everything does revert to its mean at some point or other. So, Yeah, like, like uh, and, and, and their system, like... Mm like uh the, the the u.s system with the with the ratings like like um like that 2008 crisis like uh like like i think you were mentioning was like uh, this inflated um 
because they were passing off bad bad stuff as good stuff right um the subprime mortgage crisis right so they were like yeah they're like um not good loans but they were being like bundled together and like given the rating and like passed off as like good and then people thought yeah you know everybody has everybody can get a home and stuff like that but actually it was like a house of cards kind of thing right totally yeah yeah, yeah. and i think maybe that that brings us to why financial education and financial awareness is so so very like crucial it's very important especially especially when it comes to hard times like right now um and i think even even more so leading up to uh times of crisis the ones that are prepared financially aware and financially educated and financially prepared are usually the ones that kind of persevere a little easier than the ones that are not prepared and i think it's all about preparation um what kinds of advice would you usually give um small businesses who are struggling to cope with um you know disrupted sales and disrupted conversions and broken supply chains what what kind what kinds of advice do you do you give to them usually all right so this would actually go more towards uh business advisory but the thing is that uh for a lot of times small businesses between the business and their personal finances is actually very interlinked whatever affects their personal finances is actually going to affect the small business that they're in so the advice would actually be you know similar whether you're a person or a small business it sometimes just needs to start about uh, basics i mean here we are talking about investments and you know there are certain things you could do for either your personal self or your uh business to be invested whether in the markets or in, into the business itself but you know if there was one advice the, the most basic thing we do is to make sure that your emergency savings or your backup funds are in place because if you're talking on a personal side most malaysians more than half do not even have a thousand ringgit actually in backup savings and you're talking in terms of small businesses most businesses do not even have two months of backup savings so imagine you know if your business gets disrupted for one month you're sweating and two months and it's basically the end of your business so it's really at the very start just to get your emergency backup savings in order and then after that would basically be for businesses would be to pivot so what are the other ways that you can actually generate revenue how do you actually uh, adapt and even thrive so that really would depend on the industry that you're in right yeah and and i think it's it's pretty when you put it like that it's pretty um unsurprising to see the amount of damage that was caused in just um you know relatively short amount of time you know a couple of months uh on lockdown or mco and and people are already squirming with their financial management and i think it's because there there is there is generally a lack of um savings or a lack of capital um people's expenses are usually overwhelming compared to the amount of money that they can save and manage on the side um individually and businesses too right so like a couple of months of um um reduced sales could really lead to a disaster i think that that's the pretty time i i i see this as sort of like a time of renewal uh, like revival a new era like kind of like out with the with the old and in with the new the previous uh, like i i think jc penny also went down uh, and, and 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 we're talking about very old businesses right like uh, they like uh, went down and and the the number of uh, casualties brought about uh you know during during lock, global lockdowns and things like that and but at the same time what we might see like what's next right which 
which businesses are going to rise up, what will industries look like and stuff. So I think it's it's a pretty uh, interesting time um, to see, you know, where, where, where it's all headed. Right. Yeah, so uh, going back to um, my IPF, um, I guess content marketing and and digital presence is that a big part of your of your mission for financial awareness because i understand that there are a lot of things to educate the public about when it comes to personal finance and um investments and i think engaging content uh, like the like the kind of content that you have on your blog seems like a pretty good step forward to forming better means of communication with the market and raising awareness at the same time and also, I guess, building brand equity in terms of uh, uh, my, my PF. Is is this part and parcel of your of your marketing strategy? Most definitely, because you, you can have the best content in the world, but if there are no eyeballs, if there's no audience reading it, then it's a, it's a lot going to waste, isn't it? So on our side, uh, I would say that, you know, we actually get uh, more than 90% of our traffic actually from search engines. So when we started out, we, we didn't really like, you know, try to target specific keywords or categories, but we, we did try to have best practices in place, making sure our content is original, that, you know, the, the length is uh, optimally about, you know, 1,005, 2,000 words and trying to write topics of interest. So it, it started by knowing that, you know, the audience that we were look at, looking at were primarily from the ages of uh, 25 to 45 and we knew that you know we because a lot of uh, personal finance and investment stuff out there is very uh, gender geared towards males so we decided to make sure <laughs> that the language we use you know and and it, it appeared to work because you know even today almost 50 percent or half of our audience is actually women which is very rare for a personal finance site most of the time you're, you're seeing about you know only uh, 30 percent female 70 percent male uh, demographic so you know we we started from just being a very small site and today we're we're actually the number three personal finance uh, website in malaysia and wow. yeah we get more than a hundred thousand visitors monthly on our site wow that is very impressive very very impressive yeah and um and i can see why really i mean i think more so than um word length how many words there are per article and stuff i think it's just because your your articles are pretty engaging i mean um I yeah, think what caught my eye, yeah, what caught my eye was the the one about the three key differences between a pyramid scheme and an MLM. I think that's a pretty yeah. good one. Uh -huh. <laughs> All right, yeah, I actually remember that article because uh, we we do have a team of editors, but yeah, the editor wanted to get my uh, opinion, so I I did chip in a, a little bit. So yeah, there's a little bit of me into that article as well. I think. Yeah, yeah, I see. So I, I guess that's probably why it, it's so interesting because you have an actual financial expert. And and I guess in a way, you know, uh, this is something that we talk about as well um, with uh, our clients as well, where I think the, the, the engagement and the informativeness and the value provided for each post in the blog is definitely... It definitely supersedes, you know, then things like word length. Like, uh, I, I mean, we use technical SEO tools as well, like, uh, you know, keywords, word length and things like that. But at the end of the day, um, I feel that it's about the content and, um, you know, like, um, because we do a lot of um, finance related content as well. And, you know, to topics get like um, there are cert certain topics that people are looking to learn about, right? Yeah, and at the same, at the same time, there are there are topics when it comes to you know like financial topics that are so 
so interesting, but at the same time, so very overwhelming, especially for the laymen or for beginners or for people who are interested, but just, you know, it, it gets a little, a little too much for them. So um, it, it helps a lot when you have a financial expert like yourself or a good team of editors and writers to actually break down. Also, the, like, like, yeah, like, like uh, on, on, on that point, uh, since, since it's uh, about personal finance, right? So it's probably uh, targeted at lay people, right? Laymen and and so 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 like uh like, like like you said not not getting them overwhelmed with the terminology and trying to break break things down into simpler um uh, uh terms and things like that yeah and also making keeping things engaging like this this um this one about the differences between a pyramid scheme and an mlm i think a lot of people can relate because <laughs> i think a lot of people in malaysia they have at least kind of um engaged with or they know somebody or they've met somebody who you know, uh, uh, was was in a pyramid scheme, and you know they meet up with old friends, and so it's pretty yeah. relevant. So it's a really good topic, this one, and you have a bunch of others as well. So uh, make sure of Donald Trump or somebody, the uh, Robert Kiyosaki also. I think that 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 they said that they uh, they actually like uh, MLMs and stuff. So you know, the, not not to say MLM, but direct marketing or these kind of um, they, the pyramid scheme, they, they 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 have a bad rap, but. Um, they can be viable businesses, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. So since we're on the topic, so even for all our content, um, a lot of uh, ideas that we get are actually comes from the community. So these are questions that we find people asking. These are what mm. people who know us in, in person, you know, start asking us about when, when they see us. So we know that, you know, these are the topics that people actually want to uh, listen to and, and want to find out more about. And what we try to do as well is that we, we actually try to have a balanced approach. So try to give the pros and cons, both sides of the argument. But that doesn't mean that we're spineless. So at the end of the day, we would have a certain stand or viewpoint. But, you know, we want to make sure that it's balanced, that it's uh, not overly technical, not too filled with jargon. So, you know, ideally, say, you know, a 12-year-old should be able to read our, our content and understand, you know, what's, what's being shared. So who actually um, writes these articles? So we actually have a mix of uh, different uh, writers. So we have a team of writers with different backgrounds. Uh, some of them are financial planners. Uh, we do have some accountants. We have those who have totally no financial background um, at all. And so these are from really varied backgrounds, varied uh, uh, professions. Some of them are actually uh, full-time writers, while uh, we also have a number of uh, freelancers as well. And we write in both English and recently we've been also putting up um, BM Bahasa Melayu content as well. And we also have a technical editor to just make sure that our content is uh, uh, financially accurate as well. And recently we've also been looking at, you know, uh, further getting content out in different ways and and uh, forms, funneling, etc. Uh, infographics, podcasts, uh, we have a newsletter, about 5,000 subscribers. Uh, we do run some physical events, uh, or online events on and off as well. So we just want to recognize that, you know, everyone learns and consumes content differently. So English, BM, what about Chinese language? Uh, we did have a few articles in, in Chinese, but at the moment, uh, we have actually just decided to focus on English and BM because writing on especially financial topics in Chinese is, is not yeah. easy at all. The, the terminology use is totally different from, you know, your, your conversations with your friends. <laughs> oh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, but yeah, I can, I can see that. I can see the, um, the BM posts as well as the English posts. Everything looks pretty 
pretty good. And I think the consistency as well is something that should be mentioned when it comes to blog posts or any kind of content creation for that matter. I think consistency is consistency is king, I would probably even argue, because um, the more that you post, the more frequently that you post, I mean, or at least the more consistently that you post. You don't have to flood people or spam people with too much stuff. But as long as you keep it up, I think engagement um, increases algorithms also like that you know uh, google algorithm likes it when you're consistent and your page is dynamic enough to actually have a lot of content coming in on a consistent basis so i think these things these are practices that i can see that you you implement on your blog and i think it, uh, i'm glad to see glad to see all of that was there a learning curve when it when it came to to learning how to do all of these things when you started out, was it a little trickier? Was it a little harder, or was it all natural to you? Mm, it was definitely a learning curve. So, if you're talking about my P- my PF itself, it started in 2013, so it's about seven years now. Um, I was actually the sole writer when when the site started out. So, I was the writer, editor, everything all all in one. You know, when we've just started out, so the first year was basically a one man uh, show. Um, I, I wasn't totally new to blogging. I, I actually uh, used to write even you know, before the word blogs uh, existed, actually. So that's like decades ago. Um, but we did find that, yeah, definitely uh, getting uh, more people in to write, getting uh, different opinions as well. And you also talked about consistency a little bit. So we, we can definitely see that uh, we used to try to target once a week and then we, we slowly increase our schedule to like three times a week and now we are we're posting just about uh, daily and we can see the pickup from search engines is tremendous as well quite often the posts that, that we put up and it ends up being on the first page of uh, google search itself mm. so may- maybe you could uh, tell the listeners the link to your site and your blog page sure you can reach our site at mypf.my that's for short for my personal finances. So it's mypf.my. So just go in there with a lot of content. Most of our content is uh, totally free. So it's both written content, English, BM, videos, infographics. Yeah, so check it out. All right. And uh, with that, I think we've come to the end of the session. So thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Ralph, Khalid, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. All right, Stephen. Thank you very much. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Bye. Okay, bye. Bye. Blog posts for your businesses, for, for, for your businesses' branded blog, are, they're, they're like little packages of information bundled up neatly with key, keywords and images and hyperlinks. They are there to provide information to people when they need it. Simple. And I really do feel that branding in this new economy does not have to be driven by emotion or by trying to be too clever with people. Let's get back to basics, right? This new economy gives us that opportunity. Information is a commodity these days. 